And immediately Jesus had his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he himself dismissed the crowd. And after saying goodbye to them, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Hey, will you please thank Graham and Dan and Will and Brad and Tessa? And uh, I'm just going to share this. You guys, just this morning, Tessa had a, uh, an encounter with a bear. She actually had an encounter with a bear here in Littleton. And I've been seeing that on social media. There's, there's a bear wandering around. What kind of bear was it? Polar, polar bear. It was a polar bear here in Littleton. <laughs> okay, but really, this isn't a joke. The polar bear part is. But it was, I think it was, uh, Kevin Schmidt said it was a panda bear, actually. No, it was, it was something. But you wrestled it. You're here. Yes. In fact, you should come up and, and give your testimony of surviving this. I'm going to sit down. Uh, anyhow. So, yes, we're glad, we're glad you made it here this morning, Tessa. Uh, well, thank you for being here. If we've not met, my name's Nathan. I'm the uh, pastor here at West Bowles. And those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm going to break a rule that I have. Um, and this is a rule that I've, I've established when I do premarital counseling. Okay, one of the things I tell couples in premarital counseling is always, always, is kind of a contradiction of a statement here, always avoid absolute statements. Okay, always avoid absolute statements. You, you know what those are, right? I always, you always, I never, you never, and I just tell couples, just, just don't. Just don't, okay? Just don't do it. Okay, I'm going to break that rule this morning, and this time... It's not, it's not always or never. The absolute statement this morning that I want to point to is only. Only. And here's the statement. There are only two ways through. Here's what I mean by that. Pick a time frame. All right? Next 30 minutes, there are only two ways through it. Okay? You look at today. There are only two ways through. You could look at this next week. There are only two two ways through this next week, or you could expand it to this entire lifetime. There are only two ways through it. And I bring that up because of the passage that we're in that Tessa just read this morning in Mark chapter six. Okay, we're in Mark chapter six, and here's what's going on. There is another storm. Okay, you look at the disciples, and at some point you want to say to them, when Jesus tells you to get on a boat, you're probably going into a storm. Tell them no, okay? Quit getting on boats, okay? It just keeps happening, okay? But they, they get on this boat, and there's a storm coming, all right? And, and as I look at it, and as I, as I am reading what Mark is telling us here, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, here's what you see in the storm. There are two ways through. 
In fact, let me point you to that first way through. Let's, let's jump into verse 45 here. And immediately, Jesus had his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself dismissed the crowd. And after saying goodbye to them, he left for the mountain to pray. Now, here's what's just happened. If you weren't with us a couple weeks ago, we're going through the book of Mark, and Jesus has just taken a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish, and he's fed 5,000 people. Now, if you saw that happening, you'd be thinking, well, I'm going to follow this guy around. I want to go with him. And so Jesus, in fact, John tells us of this account that the crowd wanted to make him king immediately. Like, if he can do that, he could be our king because he's going to do incredible things. He's going to overthrow the Romans. He's going to make our lives better in every single way. And Jesus, John tells us, Jesus knew it wasn't yet time. So he dismisses this crowd, and he knows it's not good for young disciples to suddenly get this taste of glory and power, and and they're just going to be totally, totally misguided on it. And so he sends them away. As I thought about this, I thought, it's kind of like last Sunday. I mean, any given Sunday, have you noticed, nobody goes home. You guys just don't leave at, at all. I mean, people hang out in the foyer, but last Sunday, Father's Day, there was bacon and there were donuts. And some of you were here till eight at night just waiting for more bacon. And it's just, sorry, we're out. You have to leave, okay? We love you, but you have to leave. And so this is what Jesus is dealing with. You know, this crowd is just hanging around. He says, you guys go ahead. I will catch up to you. And as you look at how this storm, the account of this storm unfolds, you begin to see there are really two, only two ways through any given time frame, and especially any storm that life throws our way. Now, if you've got the sermon notes, some of you are students and you love this. Some of you are like, I'm not even taking one because you are just giving me PTSD right now. That's fine. You don't have to, okay? But that first Roman numeral, we're going to actually come back to that in a little bit. I want us to just walk through this. And I want to show you the first way, which is really, it's the human default for how we go through periods of time, how we go through storms. Verse 47, it says this, when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. Now, I want you to think about the disciples for a minute. Where are they? They're on a boat in the middle of the sea, but it's evening. It's evening. So you want, to know, you, know, you want to know what happens in the dark? Darkness, this is that, that 1A blank, darkness makes us lonely. And it's not just that it's evening. It's getting dark. But where are they? He's at least on land. He's on stable ground. They're on water. Have you ever been out on water in the dark? It's not that enjoyable. It's really not. I mean, I, I remember going on a cruise with my wife, and it's, it's getting dark, and we're standing out on the deck, and she's like, this is so romantic. And I was like, no, this is terrifying, okay? You start imagining things, like Megalodon is going to come up from the depths of the water. He's going to swallow this whole cruise ship, okay? This is what we do. Now, they're literally on the water. But, but let me draw a couple parallels. Isn't it true that you, you can get into the middle of your week And you can start imagining, it's not Megalodon, okay, but you start imagining things, right? We get these narratives in our brain, we start imagining, you know, what what they think about what I'm thinking, and we start making assumptions. So it's evening, and they're at risk, because he's not with them, and they're out in the middle of the water, and it is getting dark. Well, it continues. 
In verse 48, seeing them, and listen to the word that Mark gives us. And if you're wondering about translation, we're often in the NIV. This week we're in the NASB, the New American Standard Version, in case you're trying to find it on your phone or anything like that. Seeing them straining at the oars. And why? For the wind was against them. That second blank, wind makes us strain. I mean, as you think about going through your week, as you think about going through any sort of time frame, there's a sense of strain that can creep in, isn't there? Where we begin trying to figure things out, and we begin trying to take, take things on in our own strength. In the wind, I mean, it's useless, right? You're better off getting a kite out, but we'll try to fight it. We'll, we'll constantly try to fight it. The wind, the dark can make us lonely. Wind makes us strain. He continues. Verse 48, at about the fourth watch of the night, and some of you are imagining Jesus and his disciples at a restaurant. This is not first watch, okay? This is fourth watch of the night, although it's a great restaurant idea. We'll, we'll open it up right next to first watch, okay? At the fourth watch of the night. So this is about between three and six in the morning. Fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. Now, when this first started, it was evening, okay? We're talking, what, 6, 7 p.m.? Now, imagine going out on water, and the wind comes up, and you are straining at the oars until 3, between 3 and 6 in the morning. You know what happens? That's when danger shows up. Because when you've been straining for that long, when you've been straining for that long, danger makes us, here's that third blank, weary. Danger makes us weary. Now, if you could just overlay those three, those three I don't think it's even new news to anybody in here. Those three reminders, if you could lay those onto your week, isn't that often how the week goes? Right? We get lonely. You know, we get to a lonely spot. And then you begin to strain. And by the end of it, we're just so weary. And the danger of it is that when you strain long enough, then you come to an end of yourself, don't you? Well, it continues because it's not so much that that's new news, but some of us need to stop and process, and I know I need this reminder all the time, it's what do those things do to me? When I get, when I get um, just lonely, when I am straining, when I am tired or weary, it translates into my relationship with Jesus. And you see it play out here in the account. Verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. Okay, wait a second. So you guys walk around with Jesus. I mean, you've been following him around for a while now. And he comes out to you and you think he's what? You think he's a ghost. See, when we get weary enough, you know what we do? That next blank, we mistake him. We mistake him. And this is, this is something that happens throughout Scripture. The morning of the resurrection, the risen Jesus comes up to Mary. He calls her name. She thinks he's the gardener. You know, the people of Nazareth, Jesus comes back. And what's their perception of him? Oh, that's just the carpenter's son. That's not Lord. That's not Savior. He's, he's just the carpenter's son. He comes across Nathaniel. And Nathaniel, he goes, ah, I see where you're from. I don't really see you. Because in Nathaniel's mind, anybody from Nazareth, nothing good could come from there. There was that time they were on the road to Emmaus, 
couple disciples the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And they look over, and Jesus is walking next to them, but they can't see that. They think he's just a fellow traveler, and this is what happens to us. See, part of why I'm so big on let's bring Sunday into Monday is because on Sunday, it's like we get this clear picture, hopefully, anyway, this clear picture of who he is. But you get to Thursday, and you get to Friday, and it's like, who are you? (laughs) And where are you at? And have you forgotten about me? And when we mistake him, when we mistake him, let me ask you, are you mistaking him right now? I mean, as you think about this last week, have you mistaken him? Have you, began to th- have you begun to think he's absent? That he's just another person in your life? See, there are all kinds of different ways we can mistake him. But when we mistake him, it leads to what happens next. <clears throat> but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. It wasn't they saw the storm. They all saw him and were terrified. And that's that next blank. After we mistake him, we misunderstand him. See, Jesus, when we don't know him in the way we could and ought to know him, you know what happens? It's terrifying. Because you begin to think that, yes, he he is sovereign and he has control over all things, but we forget that in his capacity and in his ability, we forget about how good he is. And so we begin to make character judgments about God and we begin to assume that we can't approach and we can't come near him and that there's this huge, huge gap between us and him. Well, The account goes on because a third thing takes place. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight, and this is interesting, from the incident of the loaves. Mark says, Look, this actually had something to do with something before this storm. Which, if you were with us in Mark 4, when we were looking at that storm, we were reminded that there, was some, there were some words he spoke to them that they really could have used in the storm. And Mark's saying, look, something happened right before this storm that they forgot about. They had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, and listen to this, but their hearts were hardened. And that third blank, after we mistake him, after we misunderstand him, we mislead ourselves. We mislead ourselves. And why? Because of a hardened heart. They were astonished. You know, you read that word, astonished, or some translations say amazed. And we think, oh, that's good. It's a good amazed. Mark says, no, 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 not here. They were were amazed because they were so unfamiliar with who this was. So you look through this account, and it's interesting. Let me jump up to that Roman numeral one. Because if you read this account, if you go through today, if you go through this week, if you go through this life with eyes on yourself, and we really just read this passage with a disciples focus, didn't we? We focused on the disciples. Then you're going to experience any time frame, any storm, and that, that blank on Roman numeral number one is over our heads. We are often experience the storm as something over our heads. Nothing we can do about it. You want to know why? 
Well, it's really because of what we just did. We substituted ourselves. We look, we look at the storm. We look at any time frame with, through the lens of our power to do it. Something interesting has happened these last couple of years. You guys have been probably well aware of the supply, supply chain shortages, right, on everything. You know, stores are short on all kinds of stuff, and so you've seen empty shelves and all kinds of stuff. Well, the online grocery order, um, you know, business has just exploded. But with it have come the supply shortages, And so I I was reading this article that was talking about all the crazy substitutes that stores, when they're trying to do their best, what they substitute. There's a list here. Uh, Came across, in one instance, this was Instacart and and, uh, an order placed through Walmart. They ordered strawberry shortcake ice cream and received sausage, egg, and cheese breakfast rolls. How's that for dessert? Right? So they were issued a refund, but another order. Ordered roses got bell peppers. There was a handwritten note that said, we didn't have roses, so we gave you something red. Wow, so that was the best effort. I, maybe try another flower. Try dandelions if you got nothing else, right? A rapid COVID test. Instead, they received Hall's lozenges. <laughs> I mean, wow. We, we don't... We don't know if you have COVID, but here, this is consolation prize. And this was my favorite. One order, they asked for shrimp and received ketchup and beets. Ketchup and beets. What am I getting at here? See, there is just something about an inadequate substitute, isn't there? And this is what we do. Whether it's this half hour, today, this week, this life, It is so tempting and it is so easy to put an inadequate substitute in for the one that can actually navigate the time, the storm, whatever it is. We will substitute ourselves, won't we? And that's why I want to bring you back to that first week that we were in Mark. Remember we talked about Mark and some of his themes and his emphasis? One of the things you'll notice Mark does is he doesn't give a ton of dialogue. He doesn't spend a whole lot of time saying, this is what Jesus said. I mean, there's some of that in there. But one of the things Mark is so adamant about showing us is the action of Jesus. Over and over and over. There's a lot of motion and there are a lot of verbs and there's a lot of movement throughout Mark. And so one of the things Mark is trying to drive home is pay attention to what Jesus is doing. Let me, just, let me just throw this out because we're going to read this account again. And this time, we're not going to emphasize the disciples. We're not going to emphasize ourselves. We're going to emphasize what Jesus does. Because here, Roman numeral two on your notes, while we experience the storm over our head, Jesus experiences the storm under his feet. And you got to know that. If you know that, You will read this account differently. You will read every account differently, but you will read life differently. You will absolutely, again, pick a time frame. You'll read every storm. You'll read every bit of your life differently when you understand, yeah, it is over my head, but it's under his feet. Let's walk through it again. Because as we walk through it, there are some promises that I believe everybody in here, regardless of what applies to you, you got to be reminded of. Verse 45, and immediately Jesus had his disciples get into the boat 
and go ahead of them of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself dismissed the crowd. And after saying goodbye to them, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. You can't overlook that. That first blank under Roman numeral number two, in the darkness, he prays for us. See, so, some of you, I, I get it. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting. You're saying, God, where are you at? I mean, I'm walking through this. I'm walking through this. Where are you at? And here's one thing you can be assured of. He's with us, but if you don't see it clearly, he prays. We have that incredible promise. We have that incredible promise. The Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf with words that groans, or that with groans that words cannot express. He prays for us. And so if you don't see him in front of you, if you don't see him working, you can know. He's an intercessor. He intercedes on our behalf. Verse 48. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. In the wind, second blank, Roman numeral number two, in the wind, he sees us. I mean, wouldn't that just help to know that he sees you? I mean, it might make you want to yell and say, why why don't you get over here? Why don't you make it more clear? But he sees us. He sees us. A man named Sam Rutherford, I love what he says. He says, in our fluctuations of feeling, it is well to remember that Jesus admits no change in his affections. That is, if the winds have come up and you're just walking through it right now, that's that's not a sign And that's not a statement that Jesus has somehow changed his love for you. Remember that Jesus admits no change in his affections. Your heart is not the compass that Christ sails by. It's not. He sails by the compass of who he is and the heavenly father and his purposes. And you know what the comfort is? He sees you. He sees you in it. Moving on, verse 48, the second part of it. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. In other words, this storm while they're straining was so nothing to him that he was about to pass them. Like he was going to show off maybe. Hey, guys, like good try. Watch this, right? But they've been toiling and toiling and straining and straining. He says, look, it's fine. But notice he now comes to them. He comes to them. You want to know the benefit of danger? And when you've been at it for a long, long time, and that's when the danger shows up, when we've been straining and striving for a really long time, you want to know the thing that's very much to our benefit that doesn't feel like it? It wears down our human will, doesn't it? It absolutely wears down the will. And you sit here and you hear that and you think, why is that good? Because we have to come to an end of ourselves in order to welcome him in, don't we? But a lot of times we go, no, I I got a little left. I can help you out, Jesus. I can absolutely help you out. I'll never forget my wife in labor. You know, she goes in and and there was a point where it had just been hours and hours and hours of, of just all that labor entails. And she finally said, I just can't. I can't anymore. 
You know, nurses, doctors, they make suggestions, but, but you just tend to go, but I, I still have some strength. Let me keep going. And she finally, she finally went, I just, I just quit. I can't anymore. And I'm sitting here going like, well, speak for yourself. I'm feeling fine, okay? I mean, I, I just got a snow cone from the, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I did not say that, okay? Anyway, <laughs> sorry, honey, um, storm coming for me. All right, so anyway, <laughs> but that's a picture of what happens is that sometimes we've just, not sometimes, all the time, we've got to be worn down until we're, we are absolutely stripped of our will. And then he comes to us. You want to know why? He doesn't want to force his way in. He wants to be welcomed. He deserves to be welcomed. And we got to get to a point where we say, okay, I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to do whatever you say. I'm going to let you do it your way. Verse 49 and 50. When they saw him walking on the sea, they thought that it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. That next blank, in our fear, he speaks to us. He speaks to us. Here's what I want you to notice about his statement. Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. You want to know what happens as your week wears on or as life wears on and you're tired of dealing with the pain and you're tired of straining and you're tired of all of it? Our our narrative gets really messed up. It gets fear-based, it gets blame-based, and it gets others-based. We start getting pointed at everybody else. And you know what his response is? Look how personal it is. He doesn't say the one who can control all this is with you. He says, I am with you. I don't, I don't sit with you and I don't, I'm not present with you from a distance. I am with you. Take courage. It is I. It's personal. Do not be afraid. And finally, Maybe some of you just need to hear this. I know I've needed to hear it. Verses 51 and 52. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now, three-fourths of that sentence has to do with the wind and the disciples, but you want to know what I want to orient you to? There's a gem that starts off the sentence. Then he got into the boat with them. That last blank. In the storm, he sits with us. He sits with us. Now, if you were to read John's account, or, or John's version of this account, you know, what it, you know what you learn? That immediately, the wind died down, and immediately they were at the other side. And you sit there and you think, that'd be nice. You know, as you think about the storm you're walking in right now, it'd be really nice to just be safely to the other side. But what I love, what I love about that great promise Jesus gave before he ascended to the heavens. I am with you always. It may be prayer. It may be sees us. It may be comes to us. It may be speaks to us. But it's always he sits with us. He always sits with us. And even if the wind is still going, when he sits with you, and when your eyes are open to that, it really doesn't matter if the wind's still blowing, does it? Because he's there. Whatever's over your head is under his feet.
And you got to know that in the middle of the storm. We can get it on Sunday, but on Thursday, when it has been a week, whatever's over your head, which is pretty much everything, no, it is everything, is under his feet. And so I want to actually just drill down real quick, and we're actually close to closing here. But there's, there's such an interesting statement Mark gives us because he ties this incident of the loaves to this storm. And I thought, that's, that's so interesting. Well, why is he tying the incident of the loaves to this storm? Come back and read verses 51 and 52 with me again. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. In other words, they just couldn't see it. I mean, their hearts were so hard that they went through the whole storm with themselves in mind. They didn't understand that what had happened in plain daylight, what Jesus did to feed the multitudes, is exactly what he can do in the middle of the darkness when the wind comes up and it's been a long time and we're in danger. Three things from the incident of the loaves. And if you weren't here with us a couple weeks ago, uh, we touched on a little bit of this. But three things. That, that when you have a savior, you know what he does? He softens your heart to realize some things. First thing, his great mercy in response to their great need. His great mercy in response to their great need. You know how Paul encountered this? He had this thorn in the flesh, okay? I mean, Paul was in his share of literal storms, but one of those he, he documented There was this thorn in the flesh, and there are many, many opinions about what that thorn actually was, whether it was literal, whether it was figurative, and it it was a symbol for something. But his answer he got from God was, no, I'm not going to take the thorn, but my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Do you need to hear that this morning? Whatever the need is, the reminder that his mercy is that his grace is sufficient for you. Second thing we touched on a couple of weeks ago, when Jesus fed the 5,000, the incident of the loaves, as Mark calls it, he's the emphasis. <laughs> he's the emphasis. Remember he handed the bread and the loaves to the disciples? He's like, hey, feed them. And they're like, I'm sorry, what? How do I do that? And that's the whole thing. There are those I and me statements where we go, oh, it's, it's up to me, it's up to me, it's up to me. No, it's up to him. You just got to be available. You just got to be available. He's the emphasis. Did, did you catch what happened when we read this account with ourselves in mind versus him in mind? Everything changed, didn't it? You read, you read seven verses of the Bible totally differently when he's the emphasis. Finally, number three, his past actions are an index to his future help. His past actions are an index to his future help. Does that mean he's going to literally, if you're going out on Chatfield today, that he's going to walk across the water to you? I I don't know. I don't dare say no. (laughs) But, But no, he can show up. He can do anything he wants. But we know this. His past actions really reflect his heart for you and for me and the entire world. 
And I was talking with somebody, as much as we love and delight, and we get, it's almost like dopamine for us to learn new things. You get a, you get a dopamine rush from learning new things. What we really need is not so much to be taught, but to be reminded, don't we? And so that's why we go through this. I know many of you, you know this account. You've read this hundreds of times. I know that was the case for me. And yet, you know what? We need the reminder. You don't necessarily need new insights. You need a reminder that he's the emphasis and that he, in response to our great need, has incredible mercy. And so when you begin, when when you ask him into your life, you know what happens? You just go through this life a different way. And it's a better way. There's one way that all you can do is focus on you and you don't have enough for everybody. But there's another way. It's his way. And it's the way that he uses to feed other people, whether you're in the storm or not. And so as the worship team comes back up, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the great, great reminder. And Lord, let it be this, that this week, if the winds come up, Lord, give us a reminder that you are a faithful provider. You know, whether life is calm and we're on the land and it's like the bread and the loaves incident or it's out on the water and it's dark and it's windy and it's dangerous, Lord, remind us, you're the emphasis. And so open our eyes to see you. And Lord, if there's anybody that the eyes of the heart have not been opened to you as Lord and Savior, Lord, stir in the heart. This isn't, this isn't just hearing it again and again. This is you stirring the heart. And so Lord, I pray for anybody that's pondering that conversation, that they'd have the courage to come talk, whether it's with me, any of our staff members, turn to the person next to them. But Lord, we pray for soft hearts, that we would not forget the lessons of the loaves, even in the storm. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.